Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who is a member of the Society for International Hockey Research. He is a freelance writer who has had his work featured in numerous online and print publications. He has written several hockey books, including The Greatest Game, The Montreal Canadiens, The Red Army, and The Night That Saved Hockey. Jacques Plante, The Man Who Saved the Face of Hockey, A Season in Time, Super Mario, Killer, St. Patrick, The Great One, and The Unforgettable 92-93 NHL Season. And the one we'll be focusing on tonight unbreakable 50 goals in 39 games Wayne Gretzky in the story of hockey's greatest record is a thrill to welcome Todd Denault to WLIE Sports Talk New York welcome Todd thanks for having me it's our pleasure let's start with the dedication you dedicated this book to your brother Kent and you go on to say that you know, he was one of Wayne Gretzky's earliest supporters and whose admiration for all things 99 has never wavered. How far back do you and your brother go with your Wayne Gretzky fandom, and when did you realize he was a very special player? Well, I think, as I said, we go back to the beginning. I mean, I can remember <laughs> my brother just, if you want to think about it as a fan, I can remember my brother with the Wayne Gretzky doll. <laughs> the Mattel, right? The Mattel doll. Which I had both languages. I, I had that as well. <laughs> yeah, my brother had the doll. Uh, he probably loved love me saying that he had the doll, but he had the doll. He still has the doll. Oh, it's worth a lot on eBay. I sold mine. Oh, <laughs> let's just say everything he's ever had that's Wayne Gretzky related, none of it left the house once it entered. <laughs> um, he has, uh, I think he has the very first hat that was ever licensed, which was basically a blue hat with a picture of Wayne ironed on the front. Wow. Uh, he had... I mean, you talk about, like, we bought the Pro Stars cereal, you know, all the Mr. Big <laughs> candy yeah. bars. Oh, wow. <laughs> all of it, right? Wow. And, and he still has it all. And, I mean, our, we're different in age by two years, right? So he was a Gretzky guy. I was a Guy Lafleur guy. Uh, that was the difference in the two years, right? Hmm. So that was always the discussion. I mean, we even had a coloring book that had Lafleur and Gretzky on the cover. Wow. That's so, I mean, pretty awesome. It goes, it goes way back. Like, you know, I swear Rubbermaids were invented just to contain all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Oh. you know? So scoring 50 goals in 50 games was hockey's equivalent to Babe Ruth's 60 home runs in, in a season. And such is one of the most cherished records in professional hockey. The history of this record and how difficult it was to achieve was de- well documented in the introductory chapter. Given the great eight, Alex Ovechkin has nine goals in six games. It means in order just to get to the 50-50, he needs to score 41 goals in the next 44 games. So can you give our listeners a little bit about background about the first time it was done by Maurice the Rocket Richard in the 1944-45 season, and then later the two-man chase to 50 in the 1980-81 season? Well, yeah, the, the, the standard was set by the Rocket. Um, and part of the standard was Rocket became the first guy to score 50 goals in a season. And, and part of the 50 goals, 50 goals became the first marker. And then later on as the years passed, the fact that the Rocket did it in a 50-game schedule made the 50-50 and 50 because, you know, after the Rocket, you know, uh, Boom Boom Jeffreyon scored 50 goals in a season. Bobby Hall did it a couple times, and Bobby Hall scored 54 goals in a season, but by then it was a 70-game season. So it became, well, yeah, they scored 54, 55, or, 
but they didn't do it in the 50 games like the Rocket did. So it kind of became like the Babe Ruth, you know, 60 home runs in 154 games, Roger Maris, 61, but in more games, kind of a parallel, you know, hockey thing to the baseball debate. And then in the early 70s, when Phil Esposito was scoring all the goals, a ton of goals, he came close to 50 and 50, but he would always be like, you know, 50 goals in 52 games or 50 and 51. So the thing is it endured, and part of it, the reason it endured is because of the legend of the Rocket. And the other reason it endured is because with expansion, more games, you know, all of the Rocket's records started to fall, you know, most career goals. You know, when he played, they had two playoff rounds. He had the most playoff goals. Well, once they started playing four playoff rounds, it was just a matter of time before those records would be passed, but the 50-50 and 50 stood as the benchmark. Again, kind of like Ruth with the 60 home runs in a season. Um, and then in, um, in 1980-81, you had two players take a shot at the 50-50, and 50. and everybody remembers, you know, everybody remembers Mike Bossy because he actually did it. Um, but nobody really seems to recall that Charlie Simmer right. came within a goal on the same day, ironically, of doing it as well. Um, so you'll always see, it's funny, you always see the clips, and then full, full credit, you see the clips of Bossy scoring the goal and the big thing, and, and like Charlie Simmer just became kind of an afterthought. So, I mean, at the time, that was the competition between the two. And, and Bossy's achievement coming 35 years after the Rocket uh, was like, wow, somebody finally tied it. <laughs> and it was like, wow, it was tied, and, you know, they had pictures, and it was a big deal. Nobody knew less well, than a year later right. it's going to be shattered. Exactly. In the yep. following season, Wayne Gretzky would go on to do that. There actually, actually is an interesting contrast. You draw the mentioned Bossy and the Islanders and what was to come is looking at the Islanders as a team at that time in the middle of their dynasty, and then the Oilers are the team that would – basically to replace them, they're the team up and coming, and that's the, the backdrop for what happened in the next season. But it's, so, it's so interesting because if you are a hockey fan, this book really delves in. You, you read about names that you haven't heard in, in a long time, and, and it's interesting because, you know, like we said, Wayne would shatter that 50-50 and 50 the following year, scoring 50 goals in the first 39 games this season, and he stated many times, and it's repeated more than once in your book, that it's his most cherished record, and that's saying a lot when you hold 60 records. So I guess the question here is twofold. Why, did you think, uh, why do you think he thinks this is the most cherished of his records, and then what gave you the idea to write a book about it? Well, the first que- to answer the first question, I think... You know, he has so many records, you know, like mm-hmm. and, and not just the records, but, like, I mean, literally records that, I mean, nobody's going to touch. Ever. Yeah. And, 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 and the breadth that. of the records is amazing when you think about it. Like, you know, single-season goals, check. Single-season assists, check. Single-season <laughs> points, check. Career goals, check. Career assists, check. Career points. I mean, Post-season. even the one yeah. that, again, my brother always mentions, more career assists than anybody else has points. points. Right. Unreal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> untouchable numbers, yeah. 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 Un- untouchable, right? Yep. And when you hear that he's got 2,800 career points, I mean, somebody would have to average 100 points a year for 28 seasons <laughs> right. to approach it. <laughs> Although, y- Yarami Yager probably still has another 20 seasons in him. Well, so. <laughs> exactly, though, right? Like, it, it's so beyond. I mean, right. and part of it, what makes it ridiculous is, in reality, the standard that, like, Gordie Howe had set by playing so long made the records appear unbreakable when he held them. Right. 
Um, to your second point about the idea, um, my co-author, Mike Brophy, had the idea for the book. And his idea was he saw the interview with Gretzky saying, this is my greatest record. So he went, oh, well, that would be a great book. Um, for me, the idea is, okay, he feels it's his greatest record. Let's, let's get to the, the guts of it, right? Like, what makes it so great? Um, what was Wayne's life like at the time? I mean, to me, the record in terms of the greater Gretzky story is Gretzky went from before the record being, hey, great young player, um, probably the best in hockey, but there were doubters. There were people who went, oh, well, you know, Brian Trotche is a better all-around player. You know, Mike Bossy's got the championship pedigree. You know, da-da-da-da. There was doubters. And then when Wayne did this, and while he was still a couple years from winning the Stanley Cup, this record was just so off the chart in terms of people's comprehension that it's at this moment that in some ways he becomes what he is today where people say, Wayne Gretzky, yeah, you know, the top guy, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like a good example is, again, back to my childhood, I remember the hockey stick Titan, all their posters before that year were Gretzky and Bossy together. Like, you know, Gretzky would have the white jersey on and Bossy would have a red jersey, and they'd both advertise tight. After this record, Gretzky didn't share any advertising space with anybody. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mention all those things about this making Wayne Wayne, because you got to set that backdrop to that season. It was Wayne's third in the NHL. He's coming off a 51-55 and 55 goal season, as well as a disappointing loss to Russia in the Canada Cup. And for the people out there that are, are not big hockey fans, you know, think USA Soccer not qualifying for the World Cup and multiply that by 1,000, what the, Russia beating Canada in their game is. Um, so, you know, and you mentioned he had his detractors. I remember Stan Fischler. You know, knocking oh, Wayne Gretzky uh-huh. early on. So, how much of those things were motivation for Wayne to have that breakout season? Because you know, going back to you know an eighteen-year-old phenom in the WHA, he was the next big thing. How much was some of those disappointing you know moments and the detractors motivation for Wayne? I think it's huge. I think I think Wayne's one of those guys who he, he, he's so classy that he'd never reveal to you, you know, that publicly. Um, the one thing I found fascinating is, you know, the Canada Cup thing was a, was a massive defeat and one that he took very personally. I mean, here's, here's a guy who, when the season begins, you know, he's played two years in the NHL. He's, you know, he's gone through the league. He's 20 years old. He's just won the MVP two years in a row. The year before, he sets an all-time assist record. As you said, 50 goals and all this. A lot of guys would be enjoying the accolades that went with that. Instead, what's Wayne doing? He's sitting in a condo in Florida by himself with the blinds down and the lights off, sitting there going to himself on how he can improve his game and going, you know, I need to start shooting more. I'm becoming too predictable. Like, it's that constant self-examination. It's that constant, the best, the best. And, you know, there's people who are athletes that are supremely talented. It's the combination of the talent, though, with that, competitive desire, that overwhelming sense of, you know, competitiveness that puts the guys like Gretzky and the Michael Jordans to that next level that other people just can't get to. And to give people an idea of the jump he took with that, he went from 55 goals to 92. That, I mean, 92 (laughs) goals in a season. And the best part of that, when you talk to him, he's 
still upset to this day. He didn't get to He thinks he should have had 100. 100. <laughs> we're, we're here talking with Todd Dino, author of the great book Unbreakable. One of the things you mentioned about, you want to talk about his, his life off the ice. And a theme that comes strong, through strongly in the book is his relationship to his family, especially his father. I think what struck me was he scored the 50th goal in an incredible game, uh, which Mark, I'm sure, will ask you about. And then he went, before he did all the interviews, he called his father. So why don't you talk a little bit of the relationship he had with his father and his mother, who didn't get to see him score the 50th goal, but had planned to. Well, the whole, the whole backdrop to that night, and again, I don't know how much you want to get into this for later on, but the backdrop to that night was after 37 games, he had 41 goals. So everybody was like, kind of like, well, okay, he's probably going to break the 50 and 50, but they were putting on the calendar, when's it going to be? And in a couple weeks after that, the Oilers were set to come to Maple Leaf Gardens to play the Leafs. So everybody had circled that as the game. And so his mom was planning on going out to visit him. Uh, his dad was still employed by, you know, the Bell Telephone Company. He still worked. Um, again, just a different era. And, you know, Gretzky in the game 38 against the Kings scores four goals. And you got to keep in mind, this is in an era before the 24-hour sports networks and the Internet and all that. People opened the paper the next day. The Edmonton score with L.A. wasn't even in it. It didn't know until you maybe watched the news the, next, the, the night following the game. So by the time it got to Philly, it, it almost happened too quickly. There's only one photographer at the game. It's carried on local Edmonton TV. Um, and again, he's got 45 goals. Philadelphia had a really good team back then. Um, they had just been to the finals the year before. A lot of the guys were still there, like Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach and Bill Barbers. They had a pretty solid team. Nobody thought, oh, he's going to score five goals tonight. <laughs> I mean, again, people mislead, forget about this when they talk about this record. He scored nine goals in the last two games to get to the 50 and 39. Who scores nine goals in two, two games? games? Unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, it, it's like, unheard of. Right. It's a video game, right? Right. But so anyways, his father is at home in Brantford, and, you know, he's twiddling with the AM radio on the <laughs> dial to find the Euler game or to find an update because he can't get the Euler game. He lives in Brantford, Ontario. So he gets a thing where they're doing like a score update on a news channel, and that's how he finds out about it. And then the phone rings from the Euler dressing room. And the classic story is Wayne calls and says, hey, I just wanted to call to let you know, da-da-da-da. And, and Walter, uh, with his dry sense of humor, first thing he says to Wayne is, well, what took you so long? <laughs> you know, and that's it's a real moment in the book. And the funny part is, is everybody, when Gretzky does this, is caught off guard. Nobody's there at the game. Uh, very few cover it. To the extent that after it happens, all the Toronto media, because they're stuck in Toronto, drives en masse down to Brantford to take pictures of Walter and Wayne's mom and a couple of the, his, bro his brother and his sister looking at the newspaper of him breaking the record. That's the big story, because they can't... It's not like today with, you know, everybody's access, right, and the Internet. It's just a simpler time. And the record, the record caught everybody off guard, especially when you compare it to the year before with Bossy, where his game was on TV, carried nationally, New York City all that media attention. wasn't the same back in those days in Edmonton. So here, here's the question. You know, 36 years ago, ESPN was in its infancy. Like you mentioned, there was not a real huge media presence there. There's no Twitter, no social media back then. Um, 
they missed out on the 50, but after that, they were there to, to chronicle you know, his chance of beating Phil Esposito's single-season mark. And you, know, you both spoke to a lot of the Oilers from that era, and this really was the first time the, the phenomenon of a media circus really kicks in. What were the recollections of those players during the remaining games where every game then was under a microscope? And looking back at it, knowing Wayne's demeanor, and the the world we live in now where every moment off the ice is captured by someone on their video on their cell phone and, and constant you know requests for interviews do you think that if he played in today's game and that season would he would be would he be able to transport that season to today well it's funny because i think about you know that team even though, those, again, they were in Edmonton, and it's no offense to Edmonton, but it's a small market in the whole North American scheme. I mean, to be honest, um, in today's marketing, with all the marketing they got going on, you look back at that Oiler team, which was all a bunch of young guys, carefree, um, you know, characters. The head coach was a character, Sather. Um, you know, you would have had the 24-7 coverage, right? right? Like, we're doing the documentary, following them around all year. And they did that later on on like a smaller scale, but that was a very young, photogenic team. The thing that was funny for a lot of the guys because they were young is I think they enjoyed the fact that all the attention was on Gretzky. I think they enjoyed that, hey, it's not on me. You know? And then some guys got to enjoy it. Like in the book we chronicle, like Dave Lumley spent a couple weeks on Gretzky's line Scores a bunch of goals. All of a sudden, reporters are all over Dave Lumley. Right. And, you know, when you don't have that, you know, and you have a couple weeks of glory, it's kind of fun. You know, it's not as much fun when it's your life every day, day in, day out. But I think, I think part of it was they were all young. And, and Wayne, is, Wayne is so humble. He deflects. I mean, even, you, even now, when you interview him, if you ask him about specific things or, you know, you try and go, hey, you did this, you did this. He deflects. He's always like, oh, no, I was lucky. You know, like, I'll go, well, on this night, you know, the night in question, oh, five goals, oh, puck found me that night. <laughs> well, the puck didn't find him that night. He found the puck. Or he'll deflect, to, oh, well, this guy made a great play. And, you know, if you want to get a quote about a player or a teammate who was maybe a lesser guy, he's your go-to guy. Like, if you say, listen, Wayne, tell me a bit about Dave Lumley. Wayne will go on for 40 minutes about Dave Lumley. And he'll tell you everything about him. Great, and he was this, and he was this. That's Wayne, and that's from a lifetime of being asked to talk about yourself, I guess. Absolutely. He, he is a one-of-a-kind. We'll never see the likes of, of him again. You know, you co-wrote this book with Mike Brophy, and having gone through the process myself three times with co-author with uh, Howie Carpin, um, I was wondering what the writing process, or as you guys up there say, process, uh, was uh, for the two of you. In this case... Um, Pretty much how it worked was Mike did the first draft. So we agreed on the structure of the book. And then Mike did the first draft. And one of the things we agreed on early on was the game-by-game type deal. And using each game as a way to, as you said earlier, it introduces some old characters. Yeah, it's awesome. You you get to talk about the Colorado Rockies. Right. Great. And, And even when I go along, like you forget how it used to be, okay, you played the Rangers on Saturday. You always played the Islanders on on Sunday. Sunday. Right. Always the back-to-backs, you know. So that was fun to go through that. So Mike did the first draft, and then I basically did the second draft, going through it and going, okay, let's add this in here. Let's, you know, put the introduction here. Let's do this. And that way you have two sets of eyes looking at it. 
So I basically came in, did the second draft, put some additions into it, and then we delivered it to the book company, and then it went through the whole process that we all love. Uh, where can people get a hold of, of your this book as well as your other great books, and how can they stay up to date with you on social media? All of the books are available through the usual online suspects, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, up in Canada here, Chapters Indigo. So they're all in that, and they'd be all available in the brick-and-mortar stores, too. They're all still around. Um, in terms of keeping up on social media, you know, I have a Facebook account. I have a Twitter account. I haven't taken the leap to my own website yet, but I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook and Twitter. That's good enough for now, I guess. And, and he is an awesome contributor. If you are a big fan of, of hockey and hockey books, there's a hockey books group, and Todd is a, a phenomenal source of great reading material. He posts very interesting things. So we want to thank you so much for your time tonight, and thanks. You know, you and Mike put together a, an awesome book. It was great reliving some of those Oiler teams and, and a lot of the, the players from that era, so we really appreciate it. Oh, no, glad, glad, to, uh, glad to do the show. And anytime, guys, you want to talk, I'm always available. Awesome. Thanks so much. Todd Deneau, author of Unbreakable, 50 goals in 39 games, Wayne Gretzky, and the story of hockey's greatest record.